Today's scripture is 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we we bless you and we praise you and we ask now that as we dig into your word, you would remind us afresh of just how praiseworthy you are. Open your word to us and open your word to the kids downstairs that we would praise you as one church in one voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the team here. And as always, it's, it's my joy to open up God's word with you. So it's New Year's Eve today, a time for reflection and preparation, reflecting on the year gone by and preparing for the year that is to come. But but here's the question for today. As we spend time reflecting and preparing, how much time have we spent praising? Praising God. Praise goes beyond thanking God, although thanking God is part of it. Praise is, is meditating on and then lifting up our souls to declare to God and to others who God is and what He has done for us, the goodness of His character. The greatness of His power, the beauty of His perfection, the trustworthiness of His faithfulness. How much time have we spent praising God? We need to ask this question because praising God is the oxygen that fuels the flame of our Christian lives. You know, when you are starting a fire, you 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 need oxygen to feed it so that it grows and it grows, and that's what praising God is to the Christian life. Until we get into the rhythm of praising God regularly, the flame of our Christian life will flicker and sputter and struggle, which brings us to our passage for this morning. Peter is writing to Christians who are struggling, who have had a difficult yeah, some of you may have noticed it when, when Scripture is being read just now in verse 6. Peter acknowledges the trials that his readers are going through. And then later on in chapter 4, he warns them that to prepare for more trials to come. The word suffering appears in this letter more frequently than in any other book of the Bible. So make no mistake, Peter is writing to Christians who have had a difficult year, a very difficult year. And yet, how does Peter open the letter? After introducing himself, 
How does Peter open the letter in verse 3? He opens the letter with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before saying anything else, and Peter has much to say, Peter spends 10 whole verses praising God and inviting his readers to join him in praising God. And in doing so, Peter is teaching us something that we all need to pay attention to. Peter is teaching us that when the year has been hard, even when the next year promises to be hard, amidst trials and suffering, we still have reason to praise God. We still have reason to praise God. And I think many of us could do with that reminder today, can't we? As we reflect on the year gone past, and as we prepare for the year to come, whether it's been a, a difficult year or a year of flourishing, Peter reminds us that in every season, we have reason to praise God. And so for the rest of our time, we're going to look at three reasons that we are given here to praise God in every season. We praise God because of God's great mercy, because of our guaranteed inheritance, and because of God's guarding power. So to our first point, we praise God because of God's great mercy. Look at the second half of verse 3. Peter uh, writes, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God is the one who has given us new life. The passage is crystal clear on that, isn't it? We did not cause ourselves to be born again. God caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Being Christian means being united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Just as he destroyed the power of sin and death and was raised to new life, all of us who have put our faith in him, who have been united with him, have been raised to new life. It's all Jesus is doing. We can't take credit for it. We can't even deserve it. Look at the middle of verse 3. It's purely according to, the great, to his great mercy. It's like our birthday, the day we were physically born on this earth. All of us have a birthday, but I hope that none of us have ever tried to take credit for our birthday. I hope that none of us have tried to say that we are responsible for being born. It's the same thing with our spiritual birthday, the day God gave us new life. It is God who gave us new life. We can't take credit for it. We don't deserve it. It's only because of His great mercy. And so before we go on, we need to ask ourselves, when was the last time we praised God for His great mercy? When was the last time we praised God for causing us to be born again to a new life we could never deserve? May I suggest that sometimes our praise feels flat. We struggle to praise God because a sense of entitlement has punctured our praise, a, a puncture that slowly deflates our desire and our ability to praise God. Along the way, we somehow convince ourselves that we deserve to be born again, that we can take credit for being born again. And so we need to ask ourselves, Christ City has a sense of entitlement punctured our praise. Has a sense of entitlement deflated our desire to praise God? If that's the case, let's patch that puncture. 
by God's grace, by His Spirit, let's patch that puncture. Let's spend time reflecting on what our life was like or what our life would be like apart from the new life God has given us. Let's spend time reflecting on God's mercy and let's spend time reflecting not just on God's mercy, but on the beauty of His character. On His grace, His slowness to anger, His abounding steadfast love and faithfulness, His forgiveness of sin, and His perfect justice. Christ City, no matter how our year has been, a year of struggle or a year of success, let's praise God for His great mercy that never changes. Which brings us to our second point. We praise God for His great mercy, and we praise God because according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a guaranteed inheritance. Our guaranteed inheritance. Look at me from the middle of verse 3 again. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter, what Peter is doing here is that he's using three terms to describe the same thing, living hope, inheritance, and salvation. We have been born again to a living hope, which is our inheritance, which is our salvation. And we need to unpack each of these three terms in turn because each of these three terms reveals something different about God's promise. So we start with hope. Look at the second half of verse 3 again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The Christian life is based on hope, meaning the Christian life looks forward we look forward not just with hope, but with a living hope. A hope that is not based on religious ritual or myth, but life-giving resurrection. Our hope is a living hope grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who came back to life and gives new life to all who put our faith in Him. We look forward with a hope that is alive, and we also look forward to a hope that is secure, that is certain. That's what Peter is driving at when he talks about inheritance. Look at verse 4. He talks about how we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Inheritance also, also has the idea of looking forward, doesn't it? It's something that will be yours at a later time, something that has been promised to you. But Peter doesn't just doesn't stop there. He makes clear that this is no ordinary inheritance. Ours is an extraordinary inheritance, a supernatural inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us. The emphasis is not just on the fact that it looks for our inheritance looks forward. The emphasis is on the fact that our inheritance is guaranteed. Time will have no effect on it. Evil will have no effect on it. No one can destroy it or take it away from us. It reminds me of the time that our car got smashed into. And before I go on, I, I imagine some of you are asking yourself, wow, Sam seems to get himself into a lot of car-related problems. And the answer is yes. Yes, he does. It's a good source of sermon illustrations, but it's very expensive. Anyway, 
our family had gone to watch a Whitecaps game and we came back to find that the window of our car had been smashed in. And since then, every time we park downtown, I have this anxiety. Every time I'm walking back to the car, I walk ahead of the family and I'm bracing myself. Is the car safe? Has the window been smashed in again? Christ, when it comes to our inheritance, there's no need for anxiety. There's no need to walk ahead of the family. There's no need to brace ourselves that it's been smashed in or stolen. Our inheritance is safe. Do you hear that? Our inheritance is guaranteed. We will receive it in perfect condition. And this is so important because what exactly is our inheritance? Our inheritance is our salvation. Look at the second half of verse 5. We are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance is our salvation. Paul talks about, uh, Peter talks about it later on in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Our inheritance is our salvation. Our inheritance is not a thing, it's a person. It's being with Jesus forever. Salvation means finally being fully with Jesus forever. And Peter unpacks this more in verse 8 for us. He says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Salvation and being with Jesus are the same thing. Though we do not now see Jesus, we will see Jesus. One day we will be with Jesus perfectly. But that's still not all. Our salvation is not just guaranteed. Peter makes clear that our salvation is not just something we obtain in the future. It's, we are already obtaining it now. Look at verse 9 again. Peter says that his readers, tells his readers they are already obtaining the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. Our inheritance, our salvation, is not something we will receive only in the future. We have already begun to receive it now, in part. And we will fully receive it in the end. When, excuse me, when Jess and I were dating, we spent three years doing long dis, dating long distance. Because we were doing university in different countries. And those of you who have ever done a long-distance relationship before, you, you don't understand what I'm talking about. We used text and calls and FaceTime, which was great, but there was a sense that our relationship was not all that it should be. And actually, a big part of what kept us going was looking forward to the day that the long distance would finally be over. To the day when things would finally be as they should be, when we would finally be together in person. And that's a bit of what's going on here. As Christians, we, we have a relationship with Jesus, and it's wonderful. But we also know that things are not yet fully as they should be, don't we? We still have not seen Jesus. We are still not fully with Him. But here's the thing. One day we will be. With Jess and I, when we were dating, there was no guarantee that things would work out. But when it comes to us and God, there is a guarantee. Jesus is our inheritance. He's our guaranteed inheritance. And Christ City, that is a life-changing guarantee, isn't it? 
Because what we have in these pages is not just an affirmation that things are not as they should be, it's a promise that things will be as they should be. No matter how things are going on now, we are headed for a sure destination. One day we will be with Jesus fully and that's what gives us joy. Joy that is so wonderful that how does verse 8 describe it? It says that it is a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. A joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Isn't that a joy we all want? Isn't that a joy we all need? Isn't that a joy that all of us are so desperately yearning for? It is a joy that can only come from being with Jesus. It can only come from being with Jesus. And if you're here today and you've not yet received this joy, can I invite you to receive this joy by following Jesus? Or at least to start a conversation, talk to, you can come talk to me, any of the staff, the person you came with, or how about signing up for Alpha just to have the start of the conversation? But I also want to be careful about what I'm saying here because being a Christian doesn't mean pretending that everything is okay. Being a Christian doesn't mean that we can't grieve because sin is destructive. Death is terrible. Suffering is excruciating and we should be grieved by those things. But here's the thing. Amidst grief, we also rejoice. We can and we should grieve with what's wrong with the world, but we should also rejoice with the salvation we have today and the salvation we will have, we will obtain more fully for tomorrow and all of eternity. We need to take a leaf from Peter's book when he uses the words rejoice and grief in the same sentence. Look at verse 6. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Christ City, as we reflect on the year gone past and prepare for the year to come, it's okay to grieve. It's good to grieve over things that are not as they should be. But let's not forget that one day everything will be as they should be. Even as you dwell on reasons to grieve, let's also meditate on reasons to rejoice. Even as we see the troubles of today, let's keep our eyes on our inheritance. They will last beyond today into all of eternity. A guaranteed inheritance that gives us inexpressible joy because the inheritance is God himself. God promises that one day, so glorious is our internal inheritance, that when we look back on all the difficulties and troubles we've gone through, we will see them as though they were just for a little while. That's what it says in verse 6. For a little while. Christ City, will we hold on to that promise? When it seems like what we're going through will never end, will we hold on to the promise that it will end? And one day it will seem like it was just for a little while. Because of our guaranteed inheritance, we praise God for His great mercy. We praise God for our guaranteed inheritance. And lastly, as we wait to receive our inheritance in full, we praise God for guarding us with His power, which is our third point, God's guarding power. Growing up in Singapore, which is where I grew up, 
exams in school are really important because how you perform in exams can make a real difference in the trajectory of your life. There are three big exams in particular, the one when you're 12, one when you're 16 or 17, and one when you're 18 or 19. Each of these exams actually can go a long way to determining the schools you go to, the universities you qualify for, the scholarships you can get, and even the kind of jobs you, uh, you can apply for. And I know it's not just in Singapore. I think it's the same in many other countries. Some of us may have experienced that, haven't we? Big exams that have the potential to significantly alter our lives. And so, as you can imagine, or if you've been through that kind of environment, you would understand it can be quite stressful. There's a lot of pressure on you to do well because so much depends on you doing well. And I, I bring that up because that's how the Christian life can feel sometimes, can't it? The Christian life can feel like a lot of pressure to constantly perform well. We constantly try and make sure that we have a good heavenly report card. And we come to dread trials and suffering, not only because they are painful and unpleasant, but because we feel the pressure, don't we? The pressure of doing well, performing well, or making sure we endure and persevere to the end so that we don't mess up our faith and so that we don't lose our salvation. Christ, did that maybe how it feels? But let's be clear, that's not how the Christian life works. There is work to be done. It takes effort to turn away from sin. It takes discipline to grow in godliness. But we must remember we're not earning our salvation. We're working out a salvation that's already ours. Our inheritance is not conditional. Our inheritance is guaranteed. So, which means we don't have to worry about losing it. Our inheritance is a gift and you can't lose what was never yours to earn in the first place. But more than that, through life's ups and downs, God says something else. He says that He's guarding us. Look at verse 5. Peter talks about Christians, describes Christians as those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The picture here is of a military fortress. It's a military fortress and we are safe inside its walls. Outside are evil forces that want nothing more than to capture us and to destroy us. But between us and the evil forces are the walls of God's power. God's power guarding us and protecting us in Christ's city. We need to let this picture reframe all trials and difficulties we go through. Because the pressure isn't on us. God is the one who's on the front line protecting us. In fact, we can rejoice, rejoice in the promise that God's, God is protecting us with His power, that the entire arsenal of God's power and capabilities is guarding us. And even as we rejoice, Guarded by God's power, we learn to trust God, trusting that the trials will end one day, trusting that God in His power only allows us to go through what is necessary. That's why he says in verse 6, doesn't he? He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Christ's city, when we are grieved by various trials, perhaps as you are grieved by the trial you're going through right now, Remember that God is guarding us. 
between us and all that seeks to destroy us is the wall of God's power. Remember that the trial will end. And remember that God only allows trials that He knows are necessary. If you are going through it, it's because He says it's necessary. And if, we're, if you're going through it, God has equipped you to endure it. We may not always see how the suffering is necessary, but there is one thing that God explains that He uses suffering for. He, he explains it in verse 7. He says this, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in what? In praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One of, the, one of the questions we will all find ourselves asking ourselves is this, how do, I, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that my faith is the real deal? How do I know that my faith is genuine? Verse 7 tells us that one of the ways genuineness of Christian faith is revealed is in trials. God, in His wisdom and sovereignty, uses trials to reassure us, to give us confidence that our faith is genuine, to give us confidence in our guaranteed inheritance. The only way you can really know that your life jacket works is to strap it on and jump into the water. And that's what God does. God uses trials to push us into the water to remind us that the life jacket works, to remind us that our faith is genuine. Isn't that such a relief? Isn't that such a relief? The pressure is not on us because God is on the front line defending us and protecting us. Trials are not for us to lose our faith. They are for us to use our faith. Trials are not for us to lose our faith. They are for us to use our faith as we trust in God's guidance and promises. Trials are not for God to see how good we are. They are for us to see how good God is. Trials are not for God to see how good we are, they're for us to see how good God is. Trials, that doesn't mean trials are easy. It doesn't mean trials are not painful. They are. Because trials are a reminder that not everything is as they should be. But praise God that one day, everything will be as they should be. When we are finally with our Saviour. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Praise God. Let's stand as we respond to God's Word together.